These are no doubt unprecedented and uncertain times. The COVID-19 pandemic, and to a lesser extent, the September 2019 Hurricane Dorian Category 5 storm, have caused severe health and financial uncertainties for individuals, companies, and the government of the Bahamas. The nation's public finances took a nosedive, and the level of unpredictability continues and is expected to persist in the short to medium terms. In this Budget 2021 podcast, our team at CFAL aims to address some key issues on the Bahamian economy and the government's revenue and spending plans as outlined by the Minister of Finance. Hello, I am Pamela Ferguson, and I will be hosting this episode of the CFAL Talks podcast. Joining me in studio are Anthony Ferguson, President of CFAL, Michelle White, Investments Manager, and Angelo Butler, Senior Investment Analyst. We will cross-examine Bahamas Budget Communications 2021, presented by the Minister of Finance and Prime Minister, Dr. Hubert Minnis, and give our thoughts on the state of the Bahamian economy and what is needed for economic growth and development. So let's get right into the discussion. What is a budget deficit, and how big is the country's budget deficit? Well, in simple terms, the, a budget deficit occurs when expenditures exceed revenue. So basically, that's when the government spends more than it collects um, in taxes and other revenues. And over the past couple of years, basically due to Hurricane Dorian and the pandemic, our budget deficit has grown to nearly $1.3 billion. Um, we are forecasted to this is forecasted to reduce um, over the next few years, but right now we're dealing with a historically high um, budget deficit. We haven't seen these levels, at least in any time in recent memory. And I will just add, um, you know, it's important to understand which deficit you speak of. There's just the general deficit, which is just your revenues minus expenditures, but there's also the GFS de- deficit, which speaks to revenues minus expenditures up excluding any repayments of principal on debt. And so, um, you know, anytime you hear the word deficit, you need to know exactly which of the two you're speaking of, because one will be larger because every year the government has debt um, that matures that they have to repay. And so, like Lachelle said, the deficit um, for the last year was about $1.3 billion, And now this year, the government is projecting about $950 million, And both of these are well above historical norms. I mean, we've always had deficits both primary as well as gfs um but now you know these are deficit levels that are unheard of i mean the only thing i would like to add to um the discussion is that um unfortunately the country is focusing on the wrong things uh, when i say that i mean focusing on the deficit to me is, is misguided because at the end of the day what we should be focusing on is our capacity to pay and, and, and against that backdrop, we should be focusing on what is our revenue to our total debt. And that will give us a better um, measuring stick on, on, on how the country is doing uh, on, on a financial basis. I, I also think it's important to know that deficit is really public sector net borrowing. So whenever we, we hear that deficit, um, number or we hear the word deficit it's really the level of borrowing for that particular period and we have been borrowing 
a lot lately to fund um, deficits that we have been incurring for a number of years. So why has the country's budget deficit increased? I think, um, you know, first we would go back to the to Hurricane Dorian and, and the impact um, that had, um, you know, revenues, particularly in Abaco and Grand Bahama, to the government took a pretty significant hit as, you know, those islands got damaged and activity um, would have fallen off. And so that, you know, started some of the, the decline that we see. We then went into COVID-19 where, you know, the government shut down the economy and almost intentionally suppressed activity um, for, you know, reasons related to the pandemic while still having to maintain its expenditures or even increase their expenditures. So, you know, you have less revenue coming in while you're still spending the same amount um, and, you know, spending more in certain areas. And, and so the deficit has widened um, due to that reason. Yeah, um, I think that, um, as Angelo alluded to, pre-Hurricane um, Dorian and pre-COVID-19, the pandemic, we our budget deficit, at least the GFS deficit, had um, the administration had done a pretty decent job of in decreasing it to, I think it was at an all-time low of about $215 million in the 2018-2019 budget year. But due to the shocks caused by the hurricane and then the COVID-19 pandemic, we were forced to increase our borrowing to support the economy and support the citizenry. But I also think that it is important to note that we have an issue where we don't seek to reduce expenditures even while we seek to reduce revenues. For example, we had um, we introduced the value added tax in 2015 and that brought in more revenue. We said that it was to pay off the debt, but yet expenditures just kept along at the same pace. We made no sort of attempt to decrease expenditures. So I think that, that is, we are always going to have um, this problem where expenditures are going to continue to um, outpace revenues. I don't think that the, I'm not sure, I don't remember the Bahamas ever posting a budget surplus in my No, we have memory. not had one since 73. Yeah, so... Yeah, so I think that we're, we're going to con continue to go along these lines. We have to somehow find a way to rein in expenditures. We can't keep taxing the citizenry. It's not sustainable. You said that in 2018, you know, the deficit was 250. Well, and the reason the deficit was 250 because we cut back on capital expenditure and then we didn't um, record some of the uh, monies we owed to businesses in the country. If you add those things up, then our deficit would have been uh, not a 500 million. So for the last several years, we have been running a deficit in excess of 500 uh, million, and we continue to do that. So let's, f for instance, take where this year we're going to have in the budget subsidies of close to $500 million for money losing government corporations. And then the question is, you know, it's not 500 million. We're actually incurring a debt of 2 billion when we amortize that over the next 20 years. So um, again, you know, we are on a unsustainable part and you cannot tax your way to prosperity. And 
the government has to find a way to grow this economy or to curtail its spending. And then if you saw just the other day, they're talking about engaging another 25 or 2,400 persons and other promotions. And I'm not sure who's going to pay for this. Uh, but, um, you know, it's just not, I don't think we could raise enough tax to pay um, um, the kind of deficit we have in the short term. And so unless something is addressed sooner rather than later, um, we're going to have some other uh, major um, funding uh, challenges in terms of the government uh, not being able to borrow money or will have to borrow at exorbitant uh, interest costs. I always say too, you know, people say you can't um, tax away out of prosperity, uh, but, you know, governments also, I think, eventually realize you can't borrow your way endlessly into prosperity as well. So, like Lachelle said, we, at some point you have to look at the expenditure side, um, particularly living in a hurricane region as well. We know the variability um, in revenue from these shocks. So, the expenditure side is what we have some sort of control over, and I think that's where we need to focus. Well, this, this budget just totally disregard any sort of uh, expenditure um, 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 cuts. It, 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 it actually, the expenditure went up. So, um, I mean, while your theoretical, um, you know, diatribe is all good, the fact of the matter is these guys are not listening. I, I think your comment and the Shell's comment, Anthony, brings me, us to our next question in what are the budget deficit trends over the last 10 to 15 years? Because, Lachelle, you mentioned that um, in the 2018-19 budget, that was the lowest deficit in terms of absolute and relative terms um, for the country. But that was the year when we increased tax VAT. We increased the VAT to 12%, and we didn't pay a lot of the bills. I don't know if you remember, that was the time during which persons were complaining that they got their uniform allowances that was cut and I just think that signifies the level of austerity that they were implementing in that one year that they were able to achieve the one objective of the Fiscal Responsibility Act. So this is not a problem um, that has just occurred. Sometimes people think of crisis as just short term. This has, a, has been a problem that was brewing for a very long time, particularly since the 2008-2009 Great Recession, when we were unable to raise sufficient revenues to cover the expenditure. So this is a problem. I've looked at the numbers, and over the last 10 to 15 years, our deficit to GDP has been in the area of 5%. And I would say it you know, it ebbs and flows. Some years it looks it looks good, and, and others it, it looks higher. But like Anthony mentioned earlier, you know, there's so much off off the record, you know, commitments um, that you know the government only realizes when another party comes in and say, "Oh, this was here, this was there," and it's a back and forth. And so, you know, it's like a managed deficit in the sense that you know you can make it look as good as um, you wanted to. You could just not pay some accounts payable to some firms who, who could afford to accommodate it. You know, persons would want the government's business, and so sometimes they take advantage of that. Um, but, you know, hopefully we transition to, a you know, the accounting system whereby once you commit to something, it's recorded as an expense, and the government will no longer be able to, in essence, manage um, what deficit is reported. And I found it very interesting um, that for the 2023-2024 budget year, the GFS deficit is projected at somewhere around 151 million. That's laughable. So, <laughs> so I, I just, I, I don't know, maybe it was a typo, but I just found it um, um, very interesting if we were only able to um, 
get that number under 300 million a couple of years ago. How after the twin shocks of Hurricane Dorian and the pandemic, do you expect by the year, by the financial year 2023, 2024 to get that number to be reduced to 151 million? I mean, if you just look at what we give as a definition of a deficit, you know, revenues less expenditure, then you would know that we would either have to cut our expenditure or really grow the country or the economy in order to achieve the revenues we need to bring the deficit um, to that number, to 150 million. And I don't see that happening in this budget, and I don't see any plans or any fiscal policy strategy that will yield the level of growth that is needed in order to bring our deficit down. So how does the Bahamas budget deficit compare to similar countries in the region in terms of size? I think that we have a particularly higher rate of borrowing, especially on the external borrowing side. Our um, U.S. dollar borrowing has basically skyrocketed over the past decade or so. And last year we took, out, I think it was $825 million um, in borrowing to shore up the U.S. dollar reserves. So I, I think that we, I mean, I'm just really afraid. I don't know how we're going to pay these things back. But I think that we're, we're, we're going, we're on the edge of the cliff right now, basically, in terms of, in terms of borrowing. In the Caribbean countries, they said it's the, the worst in the world in terms of the level of indebtedness. And one of the main reasons for that is they have failing uh, public and social infrastructure that is much needed for um, this increased growth. They just don't produce it, and so they have to borrow and the deficit. So we are in company with a lot of our counterparts, and like you mentioned, now we are taking on the foreign borrowing that's about 40-plus percent of overall borrowing in the country. But I mean, uh, the only proviso we have to speak to, however, is um, yes, our financial position is not good. It continues to trend in the wrong direction, but when you compare us to the rest of the Caribbean, um, philosophically, uh, non-tangible way, we are doing better. And you say, why? Because those islands, let's take Jamaica. Jamaica have two airports. We have 30-something airports. Trinidad has one, I think. Uh, Barbados, one airport. Uh, Cayman, one airport. Turks and Caicos, well, they have one, two, one in Grand and one in the, so, but we have 34. So we have to re, we have to replicate those countries multiple times. And, and as such, we would always have or be in a worse position. So if that's the case, then we need more long-term planning and how do we address some of these infrastructure um, requirements for the islands if we're going to grow the economy. And as, instead of trying to do everything one time, you know, in the next five years, we're going to tackle Abaco. The, the following five years, it may be Elutra. And we just have to make those type of decisions, not where we're trying to do everything at the same time. You know, why does Exoma need a $65 million airport? It's beyond me. So when you run the numbers in that, that airport over the year, over the next 10, 20 years, it's going to cost us half, over half a billion dollars. And when you look at the GDP contribution from Exuma, it, you just cannot justify that on no level. Why no. do we need all of these airports? Can we develop transportation that we can get a functioning ferry system 
and then you have key airports in key strategic uh, international airport and key strategic um, um, islands of the Bahamas. Do we need all no, no, of these no, no, airports? No, no, no. See, this is now you're picking um, people from Crooked Island, right? We need our airport because we want to come to, to NASA and we want to travel like everybody else. Why should not, you know, so yes, we do need these things. What we don't need, however, is a $65 million, $45 million airport. That's what we don't need. Right? And so if you do it very efficiently, because what's the most important thing for some of those smaller islands is really the runway surface with the lighting, right? You don't need a building that has to be FAA approved um, on all of the other um, uh, uh, um, security measures that you need. You don't need that, right? And so I just think sometimes we put our basket way above the head of what the country could afford. So for instance, Abaco contributed prior to Dorian about 15% of the total GDP. Grand Bahama, believe it or not, even though they like to consider themselves the second city, was less than Abaco in terms of total contribution. So between the two of them, they contributed about 19, 20% of the total GDP. Now, Abaco Airport was paying for itself. It's going to take at least two to three years before it's meaningfully contributed. I don't expect the same thing to happen. So we're putting a $15 million airport on Long Island. Again, very nice folks. They are our neighbors in Crooked Island. But, you know, why do they need a $15 million airport? I understand your point about the Exuma airport. I visited Exuma recently. It's an international airport. I was kind of embarrassed because it looks like it, you know, was something from out of a movie 30 years ago. But I do understand, I think 65 million may be a bit much for an airport. What we have in Exuma is you have a lot of people coming in on boats and their yachts. So I think that they should probably also um, focus on the boat ramps and the ports in Exuma as well, rather than putting all the $65 million into the airport. The airport does need to be upgraded. Yeah, but if you, if you, if you went 200 feet mm -hmm. west of the government and you went to one of the private FBOs, it's very nice. And I can tell you, it didn't cost $65 million. Yeah, I It didn't know. cost probably a million, you know what I mean? Yeah, there were some very nice jets parked up there. No, I mean, look, look I mean, all I'm saying is we need to have, like, China, where they plan 50 years ahead, and then every five years they update their plan based on the priorities of the, what the government is trying to achieve. But all I'm saying is we cannot do all of these infrastructure work in the, quote-unquote, five year period because we want to be re-elected. We have to make the tough decisions. We have to have an organized planning regime for the country unless uh, and we expect to get uh, debt forgiveness by all of the foreign um, entities that has lend us money and, and I don't see that happening. I think the challenge is, let's um, stay on the topic of the airports, is we build these airports, but there's no economic activity or sufficient economic activities, like you mentioned, to finance these airports, and then they run down, and then the next 10, 15 years, someone is going to um, announce grandiose plans near to election that they're going to Im uh, improve the airport. So we need infrastructure on these islands that will spur private sector growth and then they will be able to fund uh, uh, these air the, the, the borrowing or the monies for these airport as they go along. So I think that's one of the major, major challenges. So how is the country budget deficit financed? There are several um, um, measures the government uses um, to finance its deficit. You know, the government issues Bahamas registered stock, which are um, bond obligations on the government. Government also finances itself through um, advances from the central bank. 
um, central bank also purchases government bonds, treasury bills. Um, you know, the government also issues bonds in the foreign market. We saw during the pandemic where they um, issued a total of $825 million in U.S. dollar debt at a very attractive 8.25%. Um, and then there's also borrowing from the multilateral, you know, alphabet soup, IDB, World Bank, OECD, IMF, um, etc. So those are some of the primary ways that the government um, finances its deficit. And then lastly, I would say, you know, you just defer payments on some things and, <laughs> and don't pay them, you know. So. so in short, they just borrow everything you described, Angelo, is a form of borrowing. So, yeah, that's the only way they finance the, the deficit. So how much interest does the government pay on its borrowing over the last 15 years? I think that um, the interest payments um, have exceeded like 200 million over um, the past 10 to 15 years. 200 million? Per yeah, year. per year. Oh, yeah, okay. That's yeah. <laughs> just over the past 15 years. Okay. No, no, no. Yes. No, no, no. <laughs> um, I think we have, um, we've um, increased our borrowing so much. It just keeps going and going and going like it's never going to stop. And so now I think we're maybe at the point where we are borrowing to fund interest payments. I don't know. But um, that's $200 million is a lot. Can you imagine what that can do? Um, but you know, you are right. Society. Not to cut you off, but you are right. So for instance, the interest payment for the next fiscal period is going to be not a $500 million. Yes. When you add in the additional borrowings that we will have, we're going to be over $600 million, right? So yes, we are borrowing to pay interest. <laughs> Well, I'm going to pay, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Actually, uh, sixty percent of the spending over the this during this fix, fiscal year was financed by borrowing. They borrowed for the for the spending that we we made, and the prime minister announced the minister of finance that they were cutting capital expenditure in order to reduce overall expenditure to reduce the deficit. But that you still expect to grow the economy. Ex that's to, my to, point. To, 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 it that's doesn't, that, doesn't yeah. make any sense. I think capital expenditure should be the last thing you cut. They have yes. to really look at those recurrent expenditures, um, salaries and emoluments, like Mr. Ferguson mentioned earlier. I was also alarmed when I saw that they made um, persons permanent in the public sector where is this money coming from? I know that we want to do job creation, but I think that job creation should be driven by the private sector and the government should implement policies that allows the private sector to grow and to help reduce their expenses and the ease of doing business. I do not think that the government should continue the habit of hiring persons just to increase the job numbers and as well we don't yeah, even know what the unemployment rate is people to get re-elected that's the yeah that's yeah the that's what it is but i mean we don't even know how the last labor survey was done in november 2019 i think so i don't even i saw in the budget that they had this jobs growth plan but i don't know what data they are basing it on i did a quick calculation of you know interest payments from 2013 through um the government has budgeted up to 2024 and over that, say, 11-year period, interest payments would have totaled about $3.86 billion. All right. And right on average, 17% of every dollar in revenue that we collect will go to paying interest, and 15% of every um, dollar that we spend would go to paying um, interest. Now, you know, it would not be as bad if, um, you know, all of the debt was local debt. You know, countries such as Japan, they have debt-to-GDP ratios of... 300%, the U.S. is now in excess of 100%, but all of that is, the majority of it is finance in their currency, 
you know, for us, we can't print U.S. dollars to pay off U.S. dollar debt. And, I, and so I think the big problem is the fact that a lot of our reserves now are being used to pay exorbitant um, interest costs. It's just not sustainable. And, and again, you know, we, we, we have uh, persons who keep um, massaging the data. And we have people who are not being honest and, and truthful with the Bahamian people. And, and I think we just have to have an honest conversation so people can prepare themselves for the tough days and roads ahead. Yeah, and I mean, interest payment will be one of the higher expenditure items. Interest payment will be higher than education, health care, and all of those um, really important uh, social programs that are provided to the Bohemian people. It, it's all the way up there. Yeah, but again, right, so okay, then let's, let's put the numbers again in perspective, because I, again, I sometimes I think we look at it, the glass, you know, half full, when we should, it probably should be the glass half empty. So, in 2016, 17, the revenue to debt was around 33 to 34%, which was okay. This year, it's down to around 16%. If we continue to have deficit of a billion a year for the next two years or a billion, let's say on average our billion is a billion and one, billion two, our, we could find ourselves where our revenue to the total debt is about 10%. And that is really, really the point where um, you're going to have to start restructuring your debt in the international community. And remember, in 2024, we have a $300 million uh, facility maturing in the U.S. market. We're not having these conversations, though. This is not the level of conversation that we are having during the budget um, um, debate by the government and by the opposition. These type of conversations are not happening. Should we just wait, fold our arms until the IMF comes in and tell us what to do? Because this level of conversation that we should be having now, we should have had it. Um, in the past, we had not had that conversation and we're not having it now. And so I guess the next step would be someone would have to come in and, and, and force us to do the things that we should have been doing in order to right-size this economy. But see, even if the IMF come in, right, uh, and they said, okay, you have to lay off 20% of your civil service. I can't recall how much um, Barbados in the last four or five years laid off, but it was it's quite a bit. When you do that, you now have the pension, the pension liability to pay these people. And, and again, in our deficit and in our projections, they are not taking into consideration um, the pension deficit and the pension liability. So for instance, let's say you know 500 civil servants tomorrow decide they're gonna leave. That number is not included in that budget this year. And I always say the you know, downsizing the government, the civil service alone won't work because they just go from regular employees to pension, pension employees. Yeah. And so they're still on the payroll. So every time you replace a government employee, you're just adding someone else to the government's um, wage bill. But unfortunately, history has shown that, you know, when it hits, when it gets to a head, unfortunately, the government seems to have to be forced to cut persons' pensions and, and so forth. So I think we need to hurry up deal with that before we get that point well we're definitely not serious about it because the government announced like you you said they weren't going to make persons um permanent and while i know those persons are excited and i'm excited for them the country really cannot 
afford it. And also, I think what needs to happen is through attrition, we need to invest in technology, invest in, 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 in digitization so that we can get the efficiency and productivity um, that is needed for the public sector to, to operate smoothly um, for the Bahamian people. Well, we have concluded part one of this two-part series titled Bahamas Budget 2021. Thank you, panelists, for your participation and audience for listening in. If you wish to reach out to us here at CFAL, please give us a call at 502-7010 or send us a message via our website at www.cfal.com. Thank you. Mm -hmm.